Sometimes our lives are messy from our own sin, from the sin of others, from the circumstances of a broken world. God doesn't run from our messy lives. We sometimes believe God's love isn't big enough for our mess. We remember that God's love is steadfast for us. We look back and remember that God didn't flee from the messiness of humanity, but entered into it. We remember that God became a vulnerable human out of great love for humanity, entering into a messy family line to bring about redemption, hope, and peace. Our brokenness is restored to wholeness and peace through Christ working in our lives. We repent, we confess, we lament, and we open ourselves up to Christ because we know he is faithful to forgive us. And we can have peace and wholeness through him. We receive the assurance that we are forgiven. We receive the promise of peace and wholeness through Christ. As we light the fourth candle, we ask God to bring us true peace and wholeness, confessing our brokenness and messiness before God. God did not flee the mess of humanity, but entered into it as a baby, that we might remember that God will not flee our brokenness either, but that God loves us and restores us in the midst of it. Amen. Thank you, Dan and Janet. Good morning. It's a joy to be with you this Christmas Eve morning. Put that down there. You can stand with us if you would like, if you are able. We are going to sing some familiar songs to celebrate the season. Nations grew. 
It's a joyous day. I'm going to read this call to worship from Psalm 29, verse 2. It says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. And that's what we're going to do this morning. I want to take a moment as we prepare to sing this next song to just acknowledge that there's so much joy, there's so much happiness, there's so much to be grateful for in this season. But there's also sometimes pain and brokenness and hurt is the reality of living in a broken world. And we deal with that on a daily basis and Christmas time is no exception. For some of us, maybe even a little bit more so than the regular days of the year, some reminders, some difficulty, some pressure to feel happy. So as we sing this song, if that's you this morning, I just want you to know that I have good news for you as well, for the hurting and the broken, that even on the hard days, on the sad days, when we are feeling grief and loss or depression, Jesus is still good news for us. And that's what we're celebrating this morning. It's not a fake, happy, Christmas spirit kind of thing. It is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who loves you so much that he gave up his position in heaven. He emptied himself and took the form of a servant to, so that he could be with us, so that he could set us free. And that's what we celebrate today. Amen. It's good news. written hope in every sentence he was good start to finish yes he was the words that usher his presence and tell of the glories of heaven the earth that still shakes at the mention yes it does the broken for the hurting he came for you and you're hoping and you're searching one thing remains true Jesus is still our good news freeing each soul that was bound up loving the one who was unloved giving mercy to sin is as vast as an ocean he cares for the poor and the orphan the healer that stopped for the one and he still does i've got good news for the broken for the hurting he came for you and you're hoping and you're searching one thing remains true Jesus is still our good news. What joy, what relief. 
received. Kevin for sharing that with us. What a beautiful, and I didn't know um, that you played multiple instruments, and so I heard that downstairs earlier, and I was like, who is playing that? And uh, what a pleasant surprise that was. Thank you for sharing that with us, Kevin. Um, Before we open up the Word of God on this Christmas Eve, I want to invite us all to take a moment to prepare our hearts and to pray. So God, we thank you for this beautiful service that we are able to partake in together on this Christmas Eve. God, I pray that your presence would be near. Holy Spirit, I pray that regardless of where each person is that's here this morning or watching from home, I pray that that you would draw near in a very sweet and yet powerful way. I pray that as we open up your word, that we might open up our hearts to what you have to say to us. I pray that we wouldn't approach this word with any assumptions, but God, I pray that we would humble ourselves before you, almighty God, creator of the heavens and the earth, and yet, as Nikki so beautifully shared, you gave up the glory of heaven and you stepped into our messy world 
and you were crucified and dead and buried and resurrected to glory. And God, we stand in awe of you. We worship you and we are humbled by your love for us and by your willingness to meet us where we are. And so I pray that we would approach your word this morning with an awe and a reverence and wonder, but that we would also come humbly and open and willing to hear a word from you for us, wherever we may be on this journey. God, I know that you are faithful. You are good. You are gracious. You are merciful. And I trust that your word will meet us. And if we are open, it will minister to our hearts and it will help us to discover more of you and your beauty and your grace. May we receive that this morning. God, we love you and we thank you for being present with us. We thank you for the gift of Christ. And we thank you that we can carry Christ into the world to be a light in this dark and broken world. Help us to do that. It's only in your power. Speak to us, O oh Lord. We are listening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite you this morning, if you are able, to stand once again. And we are going to be reading this Christmas Eve gospel text from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. So here are the words of gospel writer Luke. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Around here, we have this uh, tradition that after we read the word, I say this is the word of God for the people of God, and you're invited to respond and say thanks be to God. And so let's do that this morning. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I wonder if you, like Mary, have ever found yourself asking this question, how can this be? 
Maybe you're facing a startling, uh, you're facing startling news that you can't quite wrap your mind around. You've just received news, good, bad, and you can't quite wrap your mind around this news, and so you find yourself asking the question, how can this be? Maybe you're facing something tragic. Maybe you're facing something tragic, or on the other end of that scale, maybe you're facing or experiencing something miraculous. And you ask yourself this question, how can this be? Whether it's a lament and a, and a cry out to God in pain, how can this be? Or it's, it's wonder and awe of the impossible happening right before your very eyes, and you ask, how can this be? Have you ever heard something so shocking that you just don't know how to feel about it? You don't know how to receive the news, and maybe you ask this question, how can this be? I would imagine that Mary is feeling a mixture of many of these emotions, right? Shock, uh, overwhelmed at, at wondering how this can be, maybe getting a glimpse of the next few months of her life and, and just wondering, trying to picture how this is going to work. And she asks this question, and it's such a genuine and honest question, how can this be? I personally cannot help but read this passage that we read this morning in light of the previous passage, the passage just before it. The passage where Zechariah, a priest, also receives some really crazy news. We alluded to it in this passage. Uh, Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth, is going to also have a baby, even though she is well along in age. And upon hearing the same kind of news from this same messenger, Zechariah also asked a question. But you might want to notice and pay attention to this question because it sounds really similar at first. He asked this question, and he says, how can I be sure of this? You notice the difference in the questions? It takes a moment. I didn't quite catch it at first, but it takes a moment. But these are two very different questions. At least it would seem so from the way that these two stories play out, from the messenger's response. Zachariah's question to this news, keep in mind, Zachariah is an aged priest. Right? He is a religious person. He is a, a close, devoted follower of God, but also a leader uh, within the temple and over the people of God, whereas Mary is this young, humble teenager who uh, likely loves God, knows God, right? is dedicated to God, is a faithful servant of God. And these two are asking questions, and they seem similar at first, but you might notice a difference. Zechariah says, how can I be sure of this? And in other words, maybe another way of asking this question would be, how can I know? How can I know for sure that this will happen? Or, or maybe another question, and I think this share, speaks to what is in his heart, is what might be my proof? Right? Like, what, where can I find proof that what you're telling me is actually true, is actually going to happen? Compare his question to Mary's question. Mary asks this humble, innocent question that we would expect any young teenage girl to ask upon hearing the news that she's just received. Her question is one of vulnerability, and she truly does wonder, how is this possible? How is this possible? Maybe she's considering the implications of her engagement, and she's wondering, not only how is this possible, but, 
But what will Joseph think? What will this do to our relationship? Maybe she's worried about about how this will appear or the ramifications. Compare that to Zachariah's question where it seems to, he seems to in a way question the revelation that he has just received from God, wanting proof to know for certain that this is going to happen. I, I struggle to know when I read that passage, if you go on and read the rest of that passage, uh, you'll see that the angel or the messenger tells Zechariah, because you have questioned the, the revelation of God, in a sense, what he says, is that you're not going to be able to speak until this happens. And so Zechariah is temporarily mute until John, his son, is born. And I struggled to wonder, like, this is one of those texts that I really wrestle with. I'm like, was that a punishment? Like, are we to understand that Zechariah was punished for asking questions? I personally am a fan of asking questions. I think God welcomes our questions. I'm not sure if it was a punishment, but here's what I am confident in. He got his sign. Right? He asked for a sign. What's my proof? Well, you got your sign. You're not going to speak until this happens and there's nothing you can do about it. I don't know. There, here's your sign. But what I really love, and the reason that I can't help but read these two passages together, is that Mary here, Mary, a humble, young teenage girl from the fine print when you read Nazareth, is nowhere important the other side of the tracks kind of a situation. Mary here is contrasted with an aged, wise, respected priest. And we are made quickly aware that this is a God who will work through the most unlikely of people in the most unlikely of places in very significant ways. That is the God we are invited to see as we read these stories. We read in this, in this gospel text that Mary is greatly disturbed. She's overwhelmed at this message. She's overwhelmed by the presence of this messenger. And I like to invite us to put ourselves in the story. Can you imagine? Can you imagine all of the questions that must have been flowing through her mind? I mean, we're not really given much insight, but I, I have so many questions about this moment. Like, did Mary sit in silence for several moments, kind of thinking this through, wondering, like, what does this mean? How is this going to play out? I wonder if she was worried about her relationships and how they might change. I wonder if she was really concerned about her relationship with Joseph and where that might end up. What would people say what would people think about her? I mean, we're, we're all old enough to understand this story for what it is, right? It's complicated. There are complications that come with this story. What will people think? What will people say about Mary? What will happen to her family? What kind of shame might her family take on? What kind of shame will Mary take on? What will happen to her? There seems to be, for me, so much at stake here, so much Mary doesn't know, so much Mary can't understand, and I find myself kind of fighting for her, like, Mary, or, or maybe pleading with her, do you understand how difficult this might be? Because I'm putting myself in this position, and I'm like, I don't know, right? I don't know what I could have possibly have said in response, because I would be thinking about all of the things that could go wrong here, all of the messy implications. And perhaps that is why I marvel at Mary's incredible faithful response. I marvel at her response that even maybe considering all of this, she responds, I am the Lord's servant. 
May all of this be as you have said. And I read that to say that she is willing. I think Mary had a choice here. And I think Mary was willing. I think Mary was accepting of this news. Mary was consenting that, yes, I will be. May this be as you have said, for I am the Lord's servant and I trust him. But make no mistake, I still think that that things would have been a little bit messy. I still think that there would have been complications that would come after this moment. I mean, keep in mind, other parts of the Gospels tell us that Joseph planned to get out at first, right? Until he also received a message. Joseph was planning to leave because this is messy. This is going to require sacrifice. It's going to be complicated. There's going to possibly be some heartache. There's certainly going to be a great unknown And yet I marvel at the response of Mary and Joseph, that they are so willing and so ready to do what God is asking them to do. And do you know what? I found myself challenged. I found myself this week longing to be that faithful in my responses to God. I found myself longing for this kind of faithfulness. I quickly recognized, I'm not sure I have it. (laughs) I'm not sure that that's really deep down inside And I long for this to be my response. I long for this to be our response. May it be as you have said. Don't we desire to be a part of something big? Whether or not you find yourself to be a spiritual person, maybe you're just here to keep family members happy, like no judgment, right? but maybe you're not exactly a spiritual person. Maybe spiritual or non-spiritual. I think we can all agree that don't we want to do something big and something good in the world or at least in our sphere of influence? Don't we desire to be used, some of us by God and some of us just maybe for good in such a way? Don't we all want to do something great And and maybe we could say, I wish that this is how my revelation could come. I found myself thinking this week, like, man, don't we long for the messenger to show up and say, here's exactly what I want you to do, right? Here's exactly what's going to happen for the most part. There's still a lot of questions, but like, this is the revelation of all revelations, that it's made perfectly clear. I mean, an angel, a messenger shows up and delivers this this amazing proclamation to Mary. And I'm just like, sometimes, Lord, I wish you would do that. I wish you would make it that clear because it's really hard to know sometimes, right? And yet, I wonder if that would make it any less complicated for us. I wonder that even if God showed up in the form of a messenger and said, here's what I want you to do, I wonder if if even still we would wrestle with, but wait, or what if, or how is this going to work, or can you show me proof that this is actually going to happen as you have said it's going to happen? I think we would find ourselves somewhere between Zachariah, Mary, maybe not quite where Mary is, but somewhere in there, right? And I'm reminded, as I think about all of this in this story, I'm reminded that God is ready and willing to work in and through all of us at any given moment. Might I say every given moment? Like we don't need a divine revelation. 
We don't need a divine invitation, although I think that somehow, sometimes God gives us these things in different ways. But what are we, like, are we waiting on this, a messenger to come and to tell us, here's exactly what I want you to do, here's how this is going to play out? Or can we simply remind ourselves this morning that God is always ready and willing to work in and through us in a number of ways? And you might think, well, that sounds really great and exciting, but I'm always really, it's important to me that I acknowledge that like Mary, sometimes the things that God asks us to do are really hard. And sometimes the things that that we do in our faithfulness to God mean that we face difficult, painful moments. In fact, I guess another way I would say that is just because we are faithful to God and doing something that God is asking us to do doesn't mean we are exempt from experiencing pain and difficulties in the midst of our journey as we follow God in faithfulness. We're not guaranteed a life free from heartache or pain We're not free from a life that is perfectly smooth. In fact, it's my, it's my experience that it's usually quite the opposite. Life is messy. Life as a Christian, as a faithful follower of Jesus, is still messy. Community and relationships are messy. It's all very messy. And do you know what I love about the Christmas story is that it's no exception. Despite how we portray the Christmas story in plays, on cards, on our wrapping paper, on pictures that we share on Facebook, it's all very neat and tidy for the most part. I think we're kind of getting to a place where we're like, here's what it would really look like, and here's what, what this would really look like for Mary if we're really honest sometimes, right? But I take great comfort in the fact that the Christmas story, the story of how Jesus comes into the world, the story of how God comes into the world in the form of a baby is is no exception. It's messy. There are complications. There were ramifications for relationships involved. And so what I want to invite us to, to kind of understand and receive this morning is that the Christmas story is a story that is about a divine invitation to join God in God's work, which is already breaking in in new and powerful ways. It's not an invitation to receive a life free from pain and suffering and sorrow in moments of difficulty. It's, it's an invitation to to join, to receive, to participate in what God is already doing. And, And while we know it comes with pain and hardship, we proceed, we go forward knowing and acknowledging that God is with us. He's present with this with us. That's why we're here celebrating this morning. This is the fourth and final Sunday of Advent, and as you may have known from our candle reading or picked up on from our candle reading, it's the Sunday of peace. And I just can't tell you what it what it means to me, what it does to me as I think about the fact that Christ came to bring peace. He brought peace. Christ came to bring shalom, wholeness. He will not stop until it is all complete and as it should be. But the way that this Christ brings peace, the way that that Christ set out to bring peace into this world was not free of messy. The Prince of Peace 
was born into a real mess. Mary was a real young person, likely scared and overwhelmed at the thought of of being the mother of the son of God. And I have to imagine that Joseph and Mary were kind of clumsily working their way through this whole process, unprepared for this moment. And I wonder if sometimes, like I said, we kind of forget the messy reality of this story and of these moments. And yet it brings me so much comfort, so much joy and comfort to know that that Christ, who is my peace, did not keep himself from entering into the messiness of our world so that he could bring us peace. It's a beautiful thing. This is the God we we. We serve. This is the God we are invited to follow. I was so blessed as I thought about Mary again this week and and Mary's consent to what she was invited to do to bear the Christ child, even though it came with real life, messy complications along the way. Friends, Christ was born into great vulnerability. And that blessed me this week, this month, as I've thought about these things. And you know, that, that passage mentions David. That, that passage that we read today acknowledges that Joseph is in the line of King David. And man, if you ever just want to be maybe comforted of, of what a mess your life has been at times or what it is, go read the story of David. Like that dude with all due respect, was messy, right? Like his life was messy. He made some really terrible decisions. He was the king uh, that served under God, represented God to a whole bunch of people and made really terrible choices that negatively impacted the lives of many people. Like the things he did, I have such a problem with and I really struggle sometimes like God, how? Like, I don't understand how you could, could redeem and use this mess. I mean, David's sins were egregious. He was not always a nice person. And it boggles my mind that it's through David's line, through David's family, that, that God would come into the world, that God would be born into this family line. And that's hard for me in a number of ways, and I still wrestle with that. But this week, again, as I really thought about the realities of the Christmas story, it was this beautiful reminder that no matter our past, even despite our broken present, it's such a beautiful reminder of God's steadfast love and redemption for us. And if it was enough for David, Friends, it is more than enough for each and every one of you. Thanks be to God, I say. It's this beautiful reminder that if God can take this broken life, this really messed up life of David, and ultimately bring from his line the redemption for the whole world, what can God do with our brokenness if we are willing? The story of the world's redemption comes through real people into messy and real stories and in vulnerable ways. And friends, the good news for us is that we are these people. We are the people who get to carry the love and peace of Christ into the world. 
We are the ones who are being invited into this story. This is a story for us. Don't you see? You are not far removed from this story. I'm not trying to put us all on the same playing field as as Mary and Joseph, because I think, again, like I admit, I don't know if I could have said yes, right? I acknowledge that, but, but this was a messy story, and it's involving real messy people, and so this is a story for us. And some of the questions we've been asking this Advent season are real questions. We've asked some hard questions this Advent season. In fact, for some of you who don't come every week or very often at all, like if you asked around, you might be like, yeah, I was wondering if it was even really Christmas for a while because like the first week we talked about lament and it was really depressing and it was like all these hard questions directed towards God. And there's just been a lot of hard questions that we have not shown away, uh, shy away from this season. But the questions that we've been asking is, where is there brokenness and sin that needs to be confessed and repented of? Right? We've asked hard questions like, where is God? Where is he really? We've asked questions like, where is God moving? What is God even doing? And by the way, oftentimes we find that he's in the unexpected places working through the most unexpected people. And we miss that because it's unexpected. Where is the love of God here and now? When we look back over the years of our lives and over the history of God's people, when we look back, we're reminded of God's faithfulness and we are invited to look forward and we see that God is here, that God is there, that Emmanuel is here in the midst of our vulnerabilities, in the midst of our messes, in the midst of the sin that is done to us and the sins that we have committed. Like that's where God is. He is there and he is present and he is working and he is moving and he is redeeming. And this is the last thing that I want to share with you this morning. I mean, Think about this. Here's, here's some of the honest things that I've thought about this season. And, and it's kind of me acknowledging why Christmas has, in some ways, only gotten more and more difficult over the years. Like, the older you get, the more jaded you are, maybe, <laughs> you've become. And, and you just see things for what they are. And, and it's really hard, right? And I think about the fact that this, the world that we live in has always been messy, It's always been chaotic. It's always been crazy. There's always been wars. There have always been famines. I mean, none of that takes away from where we find ourselves today, right? But we acknowledge that the world has always been messy and and crazy and hard. But our present access to global communications, it really amplifies this in ways that we just aren't prepared to handle, right? And so we're always carrying this around. Do you feel me? (laughs) Like we're always carrying this reality around of, of the heaviness of the world in which we live. And then December hits and it's like, bam, Merry Christmas. You better be happy. You better be cheery. Here's your peppermint latte. Put your sparkly lights up. Like everything should be happy and joyful. And I'm just like, wait a minute. There's still a lot of messy things going on, and that doesn't just stop because it's Christmas. And so I wonder sometimes how these two things mesh together. Am I alone in that? (laughs) That was really vulnerable. I hope I'm not alone in that, because if so, it's like, ooh, get her some help. (laughs) But I'm just like, how are we supposed to just shove that all away? Are we? Like, what is the relationship of this tension here? 
And this year, I, I opened up a book called Honest Advent by Scott Erickson, and I highly, highly recommend this book for you to read next year during the Advent season. And I want to share with you some words that he shared that gave me so much comfort and healing as I try to manage all of these feelings. This is what he says. He says, we're smacked in the face with the curated, clean aesthetics of safe shepherds, of pleasant-smelling stables, of picture-perfect stars and angels and wise men. And all of this is really hard to wrap our minds around in the face of the tsunami of darkness. This sanitized message of hope is, is as understandable as Charlie Brown's parents in this world on the brink of fearful despair. Only some will get that. But surprisingly, what is hopeful is the opposite of a polished and well-branded birth story. Where our hope is found is not in an ideal vision that is so far removed from our reality, but in the very messy and scandalous participation of human weakness. Everything about God Almighty incarnating through the vulnerable process of human birth confronts all of our ideas of overcoming power. This sanitized brand we've created to celebrate Christmas aesthetically suggests that we can only experience God with us by cleaning up all of life's messy details. And then when everything is perfect, we'll get that Christmas tingle. But what we see through the details of, of this story of the birthing process is that the Christ story is actually about a God who brings salvation into the world through those messy details. This is a story for us. This is a story for us. We are invited to join in what God is doing, to participate in what God is doing, regardless of where we are or where we've been. And maybe like Mary, you wonder, yeah, but how can this be? How can God do such a remarkable thing given my situation? You don't understand my situation. How can what seems so backwards make things so right? How can God take something so messy and turn it into something redemptive? And I wonder if, as we ask those questions, I wonder if it's possible that we open ourselves up to a God even the slightest bit that he might meet us where we are and that he might invite us to be a part of something bigger than what we can really imagine in this moment. It doesn't necessarily mean earth-shattering or world-changing, but for us, it's seeing and acknowledging and participating in what God is doing here and now. And I pray that we would have Mary's response. May it be so. May we, like Mary, stand before God and essentially say, God, here I am. I don't know what you can do with all this. I don't know what you can do with my mess, with my heart, but here I am, and I'm open to whatever that next step might look like. What if these are the questions on this final Sunday of Advent? What if instead of fixating on all the things that make Christmas fun, but at the same time, at the end of the day, make it really disappointing when it's all over, right? 
What if we ask God how he wants to use us right here, right now, to light up a dark and broken world? And he will do it because he is faithful and he works with and through us. I'm going to invite our praise team to come. And this is my favorite part of of the Christmas Eve service, where we quite literally share our light with each other in hopes that we will be open to, to go and to share it with the world as we participate with God. Like, we're not doing this on our own, right? Like, we're not just going and doing good deeds. Like, that's fine, and we love that, and we encourage that, but, like, we are committing to participate with, what, with God, with what he's doing. And as we've journeyed through these last several weeks together, we have, have been anticipating and expecting the coming of Christ. And today, on Christmas Eve, we recognize and we celebrate that coming. We rejoice in the one who came, not in the glory of a palace or with riches and power, but as a peasant in a manger. And we rejoice in the one who is the fulfillment of hope, the bringer of peace, the creator of joy and love itself. And we illustrate this presence of Christ with us with the lighting of this final white candle, the Christ candle. And it is a symbol that the light has come into the world, but take heart, it continues to come. Like it has come and it is coming. And we celebrate today that light shone in the darkness and we celebrate that night cannot overcome it. And we continue to shine the light in the darkness of our world today. And so in a moment, I'm gonna light this candle. And as I do, I I want us to reflect on that Christ is our ultimate example of hope, peace, joy, and love. And his love was poured out in humility and sacrifice for the whole world. So today, as we celebrate this amazing gift of love, we look ahead to share it with the world and to love one another as well. We're going to invite you to, for some, it's going to be stepping out of your comfort zone just a little bit. But in just a few moments, as the worship team prepares to sing, and in a few moments as they begin, um, we're going to invite you all to kind of come and gather together. Because we're going to actually light each other's candles, and if we're all spread out across the sanctuary, it's going to take a really long time, and we might be here till like, you know, one o'clock. Uh, But no, really, we just want to invite you to come forward. You don't all have to come right here, but everybody just in a moment, come forward, and I'm going to light my candle with the Christ candle. And then we're going to begin lighting each other's candles. Just turn around and light whoever is near you until they've all been lit. And if at this time, if, if you don't have a candle, please raise your hand, and we'll make sure that you get one. We've got them ready to go. Everybody got one? Okay. And you're invited to sing Silent Night with us as we sing. But as we do this, the reason that we do this, I mean, yes, it's beautiful. And it's absolutely one of my favorite moments of the year. But there's a reason why we do this. We are celebrating that the true gift of Christmas is that this light, the light of Christ, this love is for the whole world. 
And as we prepare to leave this place, as we return to the hustle and bustle of Christmas, we are invited to remember by lighting and receiving light that we are the light of the world. We are to be the light of the world. We are to love our families, our friends, our neighbors, our enemies, that they too may know of this great gift of light and love. And so we light our candles from the Christ candle as a reminder that we bear the light of Christ to the world around us. And we ask God to be present in this moment as we draw near to him and to each other this morning. So you may start coming. not just as individual families, but as one family, the family of God.
sing this verse one, one more time, just the voices. You can do this. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon may have been just a sneaky way of getting us all together to see how amazing and beautiful you all look. And this to me as a pastor, like I just got to selfishly say, this is the hope of what keeps me going. That I look out and I just see people who I can walk beside and people who pick me up when I'm down and broken and I hope I can do the same for them. And we need that in this journey, on this journey. We need the light and love of each other. And so as you go from this place, you are invited to carry this light with you because the world needs it. And there's a lot of good things in the world, but the only light that will truly sustain is the light and love of God, the light and love of King Jesus who longs to draw near. And so I pray that you would go in his grace and in his peace and that you would carry his light with you and that you would feel his presence this season as you celebrate with family and loved ones. And I hope you leave knowing you are loved. You are loved. And I'm so grateful for all of you. Merry Christmas. Have a wonderful day.